Hello and welcome. I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. This series of podcasts is aimed at existing financial planning professionals, as well as those looking to enter the financial planning profession. This particular series of podcasts is focusing on financial planning businesses. We share new ideas and challenge your thought processes to help you improve your service to your clients. We have some amazing guests lined up, helping you look at things very differently. I hope that you enjoy today's podcast episode. In today's podcast, I'm joined by a very special guest, and we're talking about all things emerging technologies in the financial advice and financial planning world. And my guest today is an expert in this area with lots of experience as well, uh, looking at new technologies as they come out onto the market. And that is Ian McKenna from Financial Technology Research Centre. Welcome, Ian. Hello. Good to be here. So we are going to dive straight in and um, I've got lots of questions to ask you um, because you are the man. I've known you for a while now and over the years you are really at the forefront of you know, the looking at emerging technologies. And, you know, I've heard you talk a number of times over the years about, you know, your views on on how technology can be harnessed to give better quality advice to clients um, and also to streamline financial planning businesses. So before we get into all of that, tell me a little bit about how you got involved in the financial services sector and, you know, this new and emerging technologies in particular. Okay, I suppose my career falls into two parts, really. Um, I started off almost in short trousers, working for a life company um, for a couple of years, made a a sort of fairly normal movement across to work for a a broking firm, albeit that was predominantly on the GI side initially. Um, Worked for a broking firm for about four and a half years. And then again, natural progression um, ended up setting up my own advice business, was involved in the running of advice businesses throughout the 80s into the um, mid-90s. During that time, I did develop a significant interest in technology in the industry and also did a lot of work with media. Um, The interest in technology came from a bizarre situation, really. going into the office uh, on a Sunday because a client wanted a, a very brief letter put together to say something. And, you know, they'd called me on the Saturday in a panic that they needed something. Um, so I agreed to go in um, thinking it would be a really easy job just to fire up one of the computers and, and, and put something together. Um, when after 45 minutes, I couldn't even find the on switch. Um, I I left the building uh, determined that I was going to find out a whole lot more about this technology that was a key part of my business, but personally didn't know how it was all working. Um, And we we did, to be fair, at that time, we all all had video text machines, but um, the actual word processing machines, I wasn't being quite as uh, stupid as as my observations perhaps suggest in that... um, in those days, we were using the old um, Amstrad 1640s, which had 
they did an incredibly good job of hiding the on-off switch. It was right around the back of the monitor. If you didn't know where to look for it, you were never going to no, find it. <laughs> um, but that, as I say, really taught me that, you know, here was something having a dramatic impact on my business, and I didn't understand how it all was working. Mm-hmm. So I took a very clear decision to change that, started getting very involved with industry technology, Um and towards the end of 1994, within a week, uh, two, two publications approached me separately saying, could I write regular columns for them on industry technology and, and what it could offer? To which the answer was, sure, why not? Um, started doing so. Um, within a very short period of time, I started getting phone calls from people saying, you're telling us very publicly how we're getting this wrong, um, could you come and help us understand how to get it right? And mm. you know that that was a a huge pivot in my career. To be honest, that's that's where FTRC was born. Within six months of starting to do that stuff, um, I got into the situation where there was so much consulting work. Um, I stopped practicing full time as an advisor. I did work for a few more years uh, with another firm. Um, really helping former clients, you know, continue to be authorised with that firm to help them with through some work. But um, and it was about 97, I sort of ceased being involved on a, in, in advice, you know, as a, a regulated individual and then have built up a team of people um, that are dedicated to looking at how technology can help advisors. Um, I think it's one thing that's really important to point out um, the overwhelming majority of people that work for us have first-hand experience in working in advice businesses. Um, You know, we think it's absolutely essential if you're going to look at how you can help advisors, how technology can work in in their businesses, you need to have a group of people that have done the job firsthand. And, you know, we continue to bring um, new talent into the business. Indeed, only mm-hmm. last week, uh, sorry, this week actually, we, we've just taken on board somebody. Somebody started yesterday, um, who's previously had fifteen years working for different large advice firms, being responsible for their technology implementations and, and what they're they're putting together to help their um, advisors. So you know, it's really important to understand actually the evolving role of the advisor. So. How has technology changed over the years? I mean, over the last 20 years, you must have seen so many significant steps forward in technology. Just give us a flavour, particularly in the last kind of 10 years or so. How, how is it? What direction is it all moving in? Actually, to be fair, technology has been, if, if we look at other industries, technology has been remarkably slow to have an impact on the um, wealth advice market. I think if we look at the mortgage advice market, you know, technology has been core to what mortgage advisors have been doing for for 30 years with, you know, various mortgage sourcing systems, protection price comparison systems, um, although those really do need to move on. And we're we're seeing now, um, I mean, the, the big difference, for example, if we look at protection um, for years, 
insurers have been saying that advisors should look at more than just price. It should be a quality decision. And yet the overwhelming majority of what they've been delivering um, has been a series of price comparison services. Now, what you are beginning to see now, and I, I think it's so important um, that we need to have systems that look at both price and quality, uh, because if you start looking at price and quality, the advisor can start talking to the, the customer about what really represents best value. Um, in the wealth space, as I say, the advance of technology has been significantly constrained, I think, you know, relative to other industries. But we are now seeing a situation where there's virtually no part of the financial advice process that technology can't be deployed to help the advisor become more efficient, um, help them improve customer service, just generally in, in, enhance their business proposition overall. Um, if we go back 20, 25 years ago, all advisors really had was, was primarily, we didn't even call them practice management systems then, they were called back office systems. Um, they were records of bookkeeping, regulatory reporting, your accounting. You know, we we now have a series of situations, you know, where advisors will have practice management systems, but a whole suite of other tools, risk profiling tools, financial planning tools, cash flow planning tools, portfolio construction and review tools. Another area I find really, really interesting at the moment is the the, the whole area of platform switching um, and the number of tools that are emerging that are enabling advisors to make it far easier to be able to move a client's assets from one platform to another. There's some really important work that the industry has dragged its heels on, and this is primarily the platform community, um, frankly, have made it hard to move assets around. Um, that's something the FCA were going to get very stuck into pre-COVID. Um, it's fair to say that you know COVID has um, constrained their activity in that area, but it, it, it's a, a when, not an if. The FCA re-engage in that important work. I hope they do it sooner rather than later. Um, I think what they will find when they get there is a market is actually willing and able or advisors are willing and able um, to be able to to carry out far more detailed reviews on a regular basis. And actually, historically, most advice firms, e even now, if an advice firm changes its preferred platforms, they will tend to redirect any new business. But we've just done some research recently, which validated that the majority of instances advisors won't move existing assets because it's seen as uneconomic. There's a huge amount of work that the advisor has to do, go through a very, very poor process between platforms uh, to move those assets. So the customer is losing out. Um, I think we are going to see that change quite dramatically. The technology to help advisors go through that those changes absolutely exists. We yeah. need the platforms to get on board and start delivering on this. They can do it. Yeah. Um, they've pushed back against it for commercial reasons for years. 
Um, my understanding is the FCA have pretty much lost patience. So it's going to cost the platforms money doing this, whether they actually invest in the technology to improve their systems or they're paying out bigger fines to the FCA. Yes. They're going to do one or the other. I would strongly urge them to do the former. The technology to do it really does exist now. Yeah. And do you think over the last couple of years during the pandemic that things have changed at all? I mean, from the platform, not just the platform development, but software development generally to support advisors? Because I guess everybody's, you know, jumped on Zoom and done all of that kind of stuff. Um, any any back office developments, do you think, to, to aid, you know, cash flow planning, that kind of thing to aid um, you know, more efficient delivery of advice uh, virtually? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. Um, the pandemic has been a huge catalyst to encourage advisors to look at technology differently, uh, to, to reconsider how it can be implemented in their businesses. I mean, you know, one, one very positive step was Let's face it, when the only way that advisor could talk to clients was virtually, all of a sudden, that was a very good way to do business. Mm -hmm. um, historically, there were some advisors that absolutely em embraced the virtual approach and using screen chart. Yeah, I know advisors that have been meeting with clients like that for five years. Um, I think of one advisor I know very well who will not deal with their clients any other way. Um, and they're incredibly successful um, they can't cope with the volume of consumers that actually want to work with that way they're having to be um, very careful in how they manage the growth of their business because they, you know their experience is there is a huge pent-up demand amongst consumers uh, to, to want to work differently that was going on before the pandemic um, what's happened now is more and more advisors have of necessity had to use the technology themselves as a result of uh, the pandemic and found that actually, yeah, it does work. Uh, <laughs> yes. you, know, you can save a huge amount of time. They're spending far less time traveling around the country, you know, whether it is the advisor going to meet the client or vice versa, you know, in a traditional face-to-face -face environment, somebody has, a lot, has to spend a lot of time traveling. Um, that's all dead time. Um, it's all unnecessary carbon that we're producing as well. Yeah. Um, and what advisors are finding that, yes, remote meetings work extremely well for them. And the really good news is that, in my experience, that's stimulating large numbers of advisors to go back and say, actually, hang on a minute. So I was a bit cynical about if that technology would work in my business. What else out is there out there that I can adopt that can help me work even far, even smarter. Um, it's generally accepted that we've seen um, an acceleration of technology adoption across society of over the region of seven to 10 years um, as a result of the pandemic. I think for the advice community, it's, it, it's even greater than that. I, yeah. I might be 10, 15 years, you know, we've really moved on I'm just not seeing the level of cynicism in, in, in some areas. You know, the, the advisor community is more open and more embracing of technology than it has ever been. Um, yeah. And I think that's a good thing. 
Yeah. Uh, I think it will help them scale their businesses to be able to handle far more customers, um, to grow the number of people that can get advice. Yeah. And one of the aspects that I wanted to talk to you about, one of the specific things I heard you talk about probably about three years ago now, was this uh, the the emergence of artificial intelligence to be able to talk to you know back office and CRM systems and link that together with financial planning software. Because I know one of perhaps the biggest bugbears of financial planners out there is double keying information from their CRM system into financial planning software. Has have there been any more developments on that? Um, well, you're really raising two points there. I mean, one's around integration and the other is about um, artificial intelligence, you, you, you know, advice automation. I'll, I'll come to the two. Um, both are areas in which we're going to see very significant amounts of change in, in the months ahead. Um, on integration, the problem with integration is it's not easy. And over the last few years, many people have been, you know, banding around um, references to APIs and other technologies, just saying everything, all of these things are easy. No, they're not. Actually, if you want two pieces of complex software to talk to each other and be updated and as as one piece of software develops and becomes more sophisticated the other piece of software is able to reflect the increased sophistication that requires a lot of work yeah. and part of the challenge is i mean I've, I've heard advisors say on many occasions well if they all just talk to each other why doesn't it cost less well the answer is because it involves a lot more development time so you know if you've got two pieces of software and you want them to talk seamlessly to each other, expect to pay for two pieces of software plus something for the for the integration. You know, yes. it's going to cost somebody money somewhere doing that work. Um, and I think we need to be realistic about that cost needs to be reflected. We are beginning to see some very significant changes in thinking and approach to how data is being shared around the industry. I'm limited in how much I can say about this. I'm, I'm very aware of developments that are coming over the horizon, um, which will make a significant difference to availability um, and accuracy of data to advisors. That will all be a good thing. Um, we're certainly seeing that coming along. Um, moving on to the second issue, advice automation. The automation of advice is inevitable. And something I would say to any financial advisor is don't try and out-calculate a silicon chip. You know, when it comes to doing the maths, when it comes to crunching the numbers, there is no human being on, her, on earth that can, can think faster than a modern mobile phone, never mind a modern computer. However, the other side of that is, you know, we do not have either mobile phones or computers that have anywhere near the capability to communicate with other humans. You know, so, you know, what we're, where we're heading towards is, is um, a best of both approach. We, we, the robo-advisors, um, and, you know, it's such an awful term because, for the overwhelming majority of them, 
there weren't any robots and they certainly weren't giving advice. It was just a distribution strategy for packaged investment funds. Um, frankly, it's got far, you know, most robo-advisors um, are really the relation of execution only fund distribution businesses. They've got nothing to do with advice. Um, but there is a whole different breed of advice, automated advice solutions that are just beginning to emerge. Um, we've, we've seen um, a few, the destination retirement system that Hub Financial Solutions have put into the market recently is an incredibly powerful piece of kit. Um, I think any advisor of any reasonable scale should be looking at how they might leverage that software um, to be able to help some of their clients at retirement who might be uneconomic for traditional advice. You know, yeah. as consumers' assets reduce, uh, it becomes more and more difficult for them to afford traditional advice. And, and you know, we've got literally in this country millions of people at or approaching retirement with relatively modest uh, amounts of savings, the automated advice. I think the, the, the key message I'd want to use about automated advice, it can be deployed in two flavours. Flavour one is to complement the traditional advice service. So you're still talking about a highly personalised service you know, delivered by a highly qualified professional financial advisor. And, and profession, highly qualified professional financial advisors deserve to be well remunerated for their professional standing and their qualifications. Yeah. Um, the problem, and, and that's that's been driven by the regulator. You know, the regulator wants to talk about driving down the cost of advice. Well, you know, for many, many reasons, the the biggest cause in the increase in the cost of financial advice over the last 30 years has been the regulator or various regulators. Yes. Be it, through, you know, be it through ever increasing fees to advisors, do it, be it through ever increasing amounts of money paid um, to the Ombudsman Service, be it through compensation for rogue firms that weren't shut down quickly enough by a regulator that frankly ought to have had its act more together. Um, but also higher professional standards. You know, they, they have driven higher professional standards, and it's right that we have higher professional standards in the industry, but highly professional people deserve to be paid accordingly. We therefore, we therefore have a challenge, um, and this is, I think, the golden opportunity to every advice business, is can you use advice automation to find ways to service customers who can't afford your traditional full advice service, but can you deliver something to them using advice automation that can give them the advice that they need at a price they can afford? Um, we've done research on that on a number of occasions at FTRC. We estimate that market is in excess of 10 million consumers who today don't get financial advice, but would be willing to pay for it, but not at the price that advisors need to charge for their highly personalised service. So the challenge is use the technology to enable 
you to deliver a service people can afford and, and yeah. that act i believe is an enormous opportunity to to grow the advice market there's yeah. one other trend i want to pick up on and it, it, it it's something that um i really think um advisors should should be focusing on is the most important part historically if you go back 10 years ago even five years ago people were saying the most important system in an advice firm was their practice management system it's not anymore it's a key system but it's not the most important system you know in their business that's moved on i think all the real interest at the moment is around the financial planning technology and there's a, a range of really new innovative solutions uh coming up um that that are coming to market you, you're going to see um at our empowering advice through technology conference on the 26th may we've got several organizations launching new solutions um that haven't been seen in the uk before we've got a number of people coming along um international vendors that will be demonstrating new systems uh haven't been seen in the uk for the first time and these will be transformational but where we're going where advisors need to start thinking is the most important system um in their business going forward is going to be the system that manages their digital relationship with their customer it's it's what we currently call a client portal but um that phrase is really outdated for what it what it needs to do if you look at consumer research on when when would people find it most convenient to talk to their financial advisors it's early evenings or at the weekend yeah if you look at the busiest time on any direct to consumer financial advice or financial services not advice but any direct to consumer uh, execution only or similar service their busiest times are the commuting hours whatever they may be in the new world and the weekends there's only one thing i i i don't come across any financial advisors who want to spend more time in the office in the evening or at the weekend no so if you're not unless you're willing to spend more time in the office because that's when your client your clients really want to look at their finances you need to be replicating everything you do on a digital presence that enables the client to go through your end to end experience when you're not in the office doesn't mean they won't talk to you when you are in the office but you need to give them because in the information age all the information people want is out there the only question is does your client get that information from you or do they go and find it somewhere else and if they have to go and find it somewhere else are they still your client or have they started walking down a path perhaps to sort towards some other destination which will give them the information they want when they want it yeah it is yeah. so so my message to to every advice firm is within 5 years the most important bit of your technology proposition will be the mechanism through which you put your entire business you represent your entire proposition digitally to your customer and you know that's what firms really need to be planning for now 
Are there any specific technologies that you feel are struggling to get traction that you think financial planners should look into? Perhaps because of the pandemic, you know, they've been concentrating on Zoom and just kind of, you know, getting used to all of these extra technologies, you know, demoing their, their financial planning software on on, on the screen. Um what about all those, you know, the quite often, you know, the innovative bits of software, the, you know, the companies are smaller, perhaps less well known, aren't they? Um, are there, are there, is there software out there that you think, gosh, you know, if I was in business again now, starting my financial planning business today, I would definitely have whatever it is. I think the answer to that is an advisor needs to look at their complete proposition um, I identify how much of it they can automate now and how much they're going to automate in the future. Uh, my point being is don't expect to automate everything at day one. Don't take the approach that until you can move the, the whole process in, you know, in, into an electronic one, that doesn't mean you shouldn't make tactical investments. Obviously, ideally, you want all of these things joined up. But, you know, don't keep looking for the silver bullet and miss the opportunity to improve your processes as you go along. So I think it really depends on, you know, each individual firm, where, where should we focus? Where are the pain points? What are the parts of your work with clients, with platforms, with insurers that cause the most friction? Those are the areas that we want to fix. Those are the areas that are most uneconomic now and are the areas where we can achieve the greatest advantages going forward. And I think one of the bugbears I've certainly heard uh, many financial planners and power planners talking about during the pandemic is getting information from insurance companies, isn't it? Um, you know, the uh, certainly some of the big investment houses and insurance companies have been, oh, well, you know, it's 30-day turnaround and then you don't get it in 30 days and there's nobody here right now. And Yes, you're right. This is particularly um, an issue with closed book providers. Um, I, I don't know how the FCA can justify having signed off some of the mergers and acquisitions that they have allowed over the last five years um, without looking in more detail at what that would mean for the customers, uh, for the you know advisors, but, but even more importantly, you know, end consumers. Yes. There, there are a number of organisations out there where, frankly, access to information for end customers has gone backwards. Yeah, And, yeah, the FCA have been asleep at the wheel. Um, you know, they, they have allowed some of these mergers and acquisitions to take place and they just haven't thought it through. No. They, they haven't, you know... It, it's all very well allowing insurers to... or, or investment providers not to be interested in a legacy product anymore um does that have, have we torn up treating customers fairly Did, Seems you know, does, does the new can well it, yeah we have because it's going to be replaced by consumer duty but you know yeah. people are now increasingly questioning um will consumer duty really deliver um so yeah there, there is an enormous issue but but this is where we need to start looking differently at the sources of this data. We need to look at how this information can be extracted 
how it can be made more accessible. Pension dashboards may offer a small improvement, but, you know, people seem to forget that project was due to deliver in 2019. You know, people are getting very excited about the fact that it might deliver in 2023, 2024. Um, yeah. Too little, too late and looked at in the wrong way. Um, by comparison, however, um, and actually talking about a technology that advisors are not using as much as they should do is open banking. You know, I receive information on virtually a daily basis of new initiatives being launched using open banking data um, that is enabling people to, to hugely improve processes. Um, I'd say to any advisor, if you're not thinking about how you'll leverage open banking in your business, you're probably missing, missing an opportunity for yourself and for your customer. That said, perhaps the name of it is wrong. I mean, as, as we move from open banking to open finance, it's not just about banking data. It's about what you can do with that data to significantly enhance the customer's understanding of their finances. And by the way, open finance eventually will unlock all the electronic doors to all the data that you're talking about. But yeah, there, there is a, um, a huge need and in, insurers should think and platforms should think about their responsibilities under GDPR. Because yes. if if you are storing, doesn't matter what type of organisation you are, if you are maintaining an electronic record of a customer's data, they have a, a legal right under GDPR to have that data in an easily accessible electronic form. And I would suggest that most financial institutions are failing on that GDPR. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, you know, going forward, lots of positive things happening. Um, one, one last thing I'd want to call out is that I think we're at the tipping point right now. Um, on tipping points, the, 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 the point at which, you know, one moves from an old environment to a new, people see change coming and they anticipate it will come in a period of time. And then what usually happens is that change takes place and you find people saying, oh, my God, how did I miss that? Yeah. Well, from my perspective, and I know there are people out there that, that disagree with me and say that we've got two or three years before we hit the tipping point. I'm sorry, with a very clear insight into an awful lot of innovation um, that is taking place now, no. The tipping point is happening right now. And if an advice, if as an advice business, you're not planning in some detail how you're going to take advantages of all these changes, um, I'd say you're missing a golden opportunity. Yeah. So would that be one of your one of your three tips to for advice firms to actually start, I guess, you know, some of the things you've mentioned look at their technologies they're using, finding out where those pinch points are? So three things to have. Firstly, you need a technology roadmap. You need to understand where you are now and what your road ahead is. You achieve that technology roadmap by looking at the technology, 
that you currently have in place and what it does. And then the third point is that you identify what you don't have technology in place to do and to help you with and where you're going to get it. So that, that's your three points. Have a roadmap, understand what you're using currently, understand what you need in the future. Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. You're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It's really interesting, isn't it, to listen to other people's points of view about different things, all relating to our wonderful financial planning profession. If you know anyone who might be interested in listening to any of these podcasts, please pass on our details to them. So that's it from me. Join me again next time when we'll be talking all things Certified Financial Planner related and also dropping in on our new entrants to the financial planning profession. Bye for now.